0: Hello, and welcome to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro, a podcast all about the Bible, theology, and all things related to the Christian faith. I'm the Ryan half of Ryan and Brian, and this is episode number 19. This week, Brian and I are welcoming Dr. John Weatherly to the podcast. John is a New Testament professor at Johnson University in Knoxville, Tennessee. One of Dr. Weatherly's areas of study and concentration are the books of Luke and Acts. One of Dr. Weatherly's areas of study and concentration are the books of Luke and Acts. In this episode, he tells us all about the book of Luke, who Luke might have been, and the revolutionary nature of how and what Luke wrote. I learned a lot, and Dr. Weatherly gives us a lot to chew on. Before we get started, if you're enjoying the podcast, would you mind leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or a review on Facebook? If that's not your thing would you mind sharing the post about this episode or another episode you've enjoyed on facebook or just tell your friends tell all of them we'd love to expand our audience all right let's jump into this episode looking at the book of luke with dr john weatherly all right brian well welcome back to the bistro how are you hey ryan how's it going um you know it's a good day. It's a good day. The weather's beautiful <laughs> and we're back in the bistro. There's not there's no That's better right. place to be, am I right?
1: It's a good place to be.
0: Yes. Well, Brian, introduce us. We have a guest today. Tell yeah, us, we have tell a we, it's always special when we have
1: somebody in the in the bistro. This is John Weatherly, professor of New Testament at Johnson University. Pretty important guy to me. He was a major professor for me when I was uh, in
2: especially in seminary.
1: I was actually thinking about this John. Do you remember the very mm-hmm. first class I had with you?
2: Wasn't it that summer Greek class? summer Greek? Summer. Yeah, we were talking about that. Summer yeah. Greek. I, yeah, a year that. of Greek in ten weeks. Yeah,
1: at yeah, ten weeks, and we we'd meet all morning. Was it four hours in the morning? If I remember correctly, it was. It,
2: if it wasn't, it felt like it. <laughs> and, then, <laughs>
1: and then we bas- basically covered a chapter a day, and in the afternoon we were expected to do, to do homework. So it yeah, was, uh, it, was, it was
2: it was a forced march through the desert. Yeah. Everybody drinking out of the same canteen, but same there was no water in it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but
1: it was. Uh, I tell you, it really it, it helped me learn Greek for the first time. And, well, uh,
2: and it was a it was a very kind of a social Darwinist experiment because it was survi- <laughs> you know, it was survival of the fittest, That's and, right. and you and you survived. So draw well, your own conclusions.
1: There you go. But then I had several other classes with John in seminary, and uh, he really taught me a lot, shaped me a lot in the way that I look at Scripture. And so I'm very pleased to have John here. Uh, his wife Tammy and he both have been very important to lots of students over the year. Uh, we were at our both John and my alma mater, which no longer exists, Cincinnati uh, Bible College and Seminary, and always all, in our
2: hearts. Always Cincinnati in our hearts.
1: Christian University, Fairpoint. <laughs> we won't talk about. We won't get into that. Maybe another day we'll talk oh about gosh. that because I know you have no long no.
0: podcast.
1: A... <laughs> but anyway, it's good to have John here. John, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, other than what um, I
2: what I just said? Uh, yeah, you know, I've been teaching Bible in Christian higher education since 1990. I grew up in Central Indiana in the Indianapolis area if you're from Indianapolis I was specifically from Fishers if you really want to get into it I graduated from Hamilton Southeastern High School but with 104 people uh, which for wow. people who know central Indiana will say something about um, just you know, how cha- long ago yeah, that times was times have
0: changed it's a huge yeah, it's a little ago. bit
2: um, so I don't know if it's still the case but when I was there the main status symbol was to have Yosemite sand mud flaps on your on your Chevy truck <laughs> Um, so, but I was the band nerd, went to, uh, what was at the time Cincinnati Bible Seminary, later Cincinnati Christian University, and just was pursuing the, just this deep interest that I had in the Bible and the message of the Bible and understanding that and, and communicating it and so forth, and was encouraged to prepare myself to teach in that setting. So... Uh, Did a bachelor's and master's there, taught for a year while somebody was on sabbatical, met my wife there. And and again, to date the whole thing, met my wife there in a group that the college sent out over the summer. There were about 20 of us, basically a choir, and we did concerts every night in churches, Monday through through Friday, (laughs) and then you'd hit a church and do Saturday night and Sunday and do another church on Sunday night. And if you could just imagine people coming out to hear college kids sing, on a, you know, night, right? on a Thursday night, On a Thursday night in
0: July. You know, Sam Sam mud flaps on their vehicles.
2: Well, they right. may have. I, it's, you know, but we did this, and, and my wife and I met through that. Uh, went on, moved to the Chicago area, finished an MDiv at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Uh, spent a few years on the staff of Southside Christian Church in Munster, Indiana. I had done an internship there, and they asked me to stay on a little while on the staff. Then uh, went off to the University of Aberdeen and did a Ph.D., and came back where I focused on um, a question in Luke yeah. which and, is what brings uh, us here today. Then, yeah. yeah, which what yeah. brings us here today. Yeah, my wife and I have two kids. Um, our son and his wife have two kids themselves, so we have a couple of grandkids now. Very cool. Awesome. Well, we have a,
1: very yeah. glad you're here with us, John. And like I said, Luke-Acts is kind of what brings us here today, especially the Gospel of Luke, I think, is what we're going to kind of focus on today and, yeah. and talk about. I thought it would be—we've talked a little bit about the synoptics, uh, you know, Matthew, Mark, and yeah. Luke compared to John in the past, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I am far from an expert in in that, so I thought it would be good to bring on somebody who knew a little bit more about it than I did. So, Ryan, do you want to start off with some questions then? Or yeah.
0: So, we have a wide range of people that listen to our podcast. We have pastors, we have individuals interested church members, you know, that kind of cover a wide range. So if we're thinking about Luke, we've covered a lot with John, uh, with Brian Mm. here. And Mm -hmm. so we to look. I can imagine. It's a field of, uh, yeah, he's an expert in that. Um, So tell us a little bit about Luke. Like if someone's wanting to study the the gospel of Luke, what are some things that they should know that would help them approach the study? Like what's unique about the book of Luke?
2: Yeah, and one of the things that I would I would want to say at the get go is that when we're reading the Gospels, especially the Synoptic Gospels, they are each distinct. There's a reason why we have a fourfold Gospel canon in the New Testament, but we shouldn't exaggerate those distinctions. Uh, so if you're reading and you think, "Man, I, I think you know Luke seems a lot like Matthew and Mark," you are correct, and so you know we don't want to amplify these these differences. It's kind of like you know, well in a totally different area. Every atheist I've ever met has told me, I'm not like the other atheists you know. <laughs> and, uh, okay, you know, and then they go on, I think, mm, mm, you're an awful There's lot similarities like here. several. Yeah, they similarities <laughs> here. Yeah, they're, they're, you know, like not believing in God. I think you've all, anyway. For example. Uh, but, yeah, so, so all of that is to say, as we're talking about the distinctives here, don't think this is like one of them is wearing a gray suit and the other one is wearing a plaid suit, you know. Some, something of that nature. But, you know, there's several things about Luke that I think are, are worth realizing, and, and probably the most prominent is that Luke is the first volume of a two-volume work. Uh, Luke and Acts really go together, like the Godfather and the Godfather Part Two. So as you're reading this, understand that, that Luke is, as the author of this book, who we will call Luke, and I think there's a good reason to do that, you know, as he's writing, it's, he's already writing with the idea that there is more of the story to follow. And that's important. So once you've read Luke, you ought to read Acts and just, just see how those things go together. You know, there's some things that are obvious, but I think uh, we would, as we say them, I think they should be obvious, but I think they, they need to be said nevertheless. Luke is writing in the environment of the Roman Imperium, the Roman Empire. And there are a lot of ways that that is going on. Not that he's responding to very specific things about, you know, Roman Imperial history, like you've you've got to watch I, Claudius before you, you, uh, you read Luke to understand what's, what's going on. But the general experience of living under Rome is very much part of the backdrop. You know, we, we often say, oh, uh, Matthew was written for Jews and Luke was written for Gentiles. I think that's true in all the ways except the ways it's not true. <laughs> you know, this is still a very, very Jewish book. Okay. You know, one of my mantras in all of, all of my teaching is to tell my students, you know, think like a good Jew of the first century or, or, you know, if they're upper division students, a good Jew of the second temple period and enter into that kind of thing. And, and Luke is distinctly concerned in his own way with the fulfillment of Israel's scriptures. Now, not in the same way that Matthew expresses this with lots of formula quotations, thus it was fulfilled, etc. But especially when you get to the end of the Gospel of Luke, Luke 24, it's just like amplified that that fulfillment is important. But this is also built into every part of the story. It's built into the beginning of the story very much as well. Another thing that I think is interesting is that Luke is very interested in what we might think of as ethnicity or identity, me, and he likes to scramble it.
1: Let me go back to that. Do you think Luke is a Gentile then? Is that is that...
2: Yeah, yeah sure. Uh, <laughs> I just think he's a Gentile who is super interested in Judaism. Okay. But, you... Um, you know, if you want to kind of take it in this direction, in the in the book of Acts, there, there are re- people who are referred to some of them by name, most of them just as a category, as those who fear God, or sometimes called God-fearers, something like that. It gets, it gets processed differently in different English translations. This is probably the kind of person that Luke is, someone who had been attached to the synagogue because of an intense interest in the God of okay. Israel. But conversion to Judaism isn't just a, you know, what we would think <laughs> of as like joining a new religion. Right. Uh, in, in, it, it meant basically renunciation of your family, of your nation right. and everything else and joining a new tribe in a rather dramatic way. And it's not necessarily something that Jewish people encouraged. Right. Uh, so, you know, you've got these people who are, are in the synagogues in, in the diaspora as, as Judaism is spread around. Luke, Luke seems to fit that. And a, and a, a particularly bookish one of these guys okay. who really has immersed himself in these scriptures. So, you know, to his, to his Gentile friends, even before he becomes a Christian, they're saying, why are you so Jewish? (laughs) You know, why are you acting? Why are you acting this way? Why are you so interested in this stuff? He says, man, God is here. Okay. You know, this is the true God. And then boom. Wow. Now he's welcoming people like me. He's, you know, and this suddenly, you know, fits together like so many Legos, um, in terms of the plan of God in, in the scriptures. So this is this is at least my kind of expanded uh, imagination on this. Now in that respect, and I don't I don't know that I, I want to make too close a connection here, but you know, he'll talk about obviously in the gospels everybody talks about Pharisees And we've got to understand the Gospels are subverting our understanding of that because the Pharisees are a very respected group. So when we think, oh, the bad guys, the black hat guys, this is turning things upside down. And as I like to tell students, there are only two Jewish sects that survive the destruction of the temple in AD 70. Uh, One is the Pharisees and the other is the Christians. Christians. Right. Yeah. 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 So... um, you know, that identity is being scrambled, but even kind of subscrambled in that you actually have, well, what become good Pharisees in Lukax in in the larger span. But there are other identities that are being scrambled. Uh, Roman centurions um, would have a would be seen kind of negatively by many people. Uh, they're they're portrayed in a way that that kind of scrambles that. You've got people who are identified as tax collectors and sinners. Right. Uh, their identity is really scrambled. <laughs> uh, and again, this is in common with the other Gospels. And this this carries on um, in other ways. Samaritans, they're right. very prominent in Luke acts they get scrambled up in terms of of expectations even in some very subtle ways you know there's this kind of passing notice when you're in Luke chapter 2 you've got Anna who's this elderly woman right. in the temple who's looking for the messiah she's identified as of the tribe of Asher hmm. that's a backwards way of saying she's a samaritan right okay but she's she's in the Jerusalem temple huh. You know, she's 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 not from Judah. She's from Asher. So what's what do you think uh, Luke's
1: doing with all that? Why is he Why is he doing that? Do you well,
2: think? yeah, yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, and if if I live long enough <laughs> and and take enough geritol, I may write about it. Um, everything about Christianity is inclusive of all identities, right? And thereby subversive okay. of all identities. Hmm. So, you know, if you think of again we're kind of getting into Acts now. If you think of Pentecost as one of the the programmatic texts of Luke Acts, one of the things that tells you what the whole story is about. Right. Well, you t- you take the story of the Tower of Babel mm. where humans are in rebellion yeah. against God and language is confused and now at Pentecost, you've got similar diversity of language but with understanding right. because this is now by the spirit of God who is Bringing together people of every okay. every nation, all nations, according to the promise of Abraham, but not by obliterating their identities. Right, huh. They maintain their identities, but in that, their, their identities are subverted. Okay. Being formed uh, into so, a
1: new pre- people or something like that? Yeah.
2: yeah, they're being formed into a new people, which is very, very much, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they are who they are. Right. I'm still a centurion. I'm still a Pharisee. I'm still a Jew. I'm still a Greek. I'm still, uh, I'm still rich. I'm I'm still poor, <laughs> uh <laughs> etc, but I am 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 now doing things that would defy the normal expectation of that. Okay. Uh so yeah, it's it's just I I I I think that's kind of fun. And then to really bring it back to where it needs to be, the Gospel of Luke is entirely focused on the person of Jesus. Right. <laughs> um and and that's that should be obvious but but it needs to be said and then what's just to, to again this isn't about acts but um if we were to talk about acts acts is too right even though jesus seems to be absent after the 11th verse right uh he's not okay he's not because the acts begins by saying my first book was all about all that jesus began to do and teach Uh-huh. so the second one is about how it continues
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah. so, so with with all of that um kind of scrambling that you say is going on in there, like subverting yeah. some of those things that were in there. What what are some reading strategies that would help someone get the mm-hmm. most out of Luke and Acts? Because, I mean, if there's, if there's some things happening then that are kind of flipping up some of the expectations or who people yeah. were, how do we approach, how does someone approach these books to get the most out of them to understand what's really happening there?
2: Um, the most important thing that I think I can say is something that I've said countless times, and that is I think we should read narrative texts in the bible and this includes luke the way we watch movies Hmm. and that means not to read them piecemeal not to read them atomistically not to read them like isolated youtube clips (laughs) um isn't that how you get the best information though (laughs) sure absolutely
0: i'm just a joke that's a
2: joke let's talk right um yeah yeah not 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 to read in that way but to read from beginning to end And to, in doing that, look for the themes that develop, look for the connections that were there. This actually sounds terribly wrong to people. Do not read these books trying to get a personal spiritual lesson out of every single text. You know, go with the flow, see how it develops. You know, I probably, I mentioned The Godfather earlier, I think. Yeah, maybe, Maybe, okay. You know, I, I probably had watched The Godfather a half a dozen times before i realized that when when michael says at the beginning of the movie that's my family kate that's not me hmm. it's just setting up a whole lot of dominoes hmm. um you know that, that that go to the end of the book uh, or the, the, the end movie, of the movie right. sorry it's a movie. It's a movie. <laughs> the book the godfather was was terrible it didn't have nearly the narrative coherence <laughs> right. of the movie um But, you know, they are episodic stories, so much so that 100 years ago we had people who said, oh, they're just kind of strung together like pearls on a string, you know, that kind of thing. No, no, these are sophisticated narratives uh, with ideas that interconnect. Uh, so I, I think I think that's very important is 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 to go with the flow. And as you do, you observe these recurring ideas and so forth, and you see how they fit together and one feeds on another. And this constructs meaning about the story of Jesus. Right. We we've talked about this. The, you know, the 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 church often
1: you know the way we the way we do Sunday service, for example, or even Sunday school mm-hmm. doesn't encourage that. You know, we take. We take, like right. you said, a piecemeal approach, and I do think it's very important to read these as a story. Let, let me come back to something you said about the, the Godfather. So if we look at Luke in this way, or, or let's, you know, you've been insisting on the importance of the, seeing them two together, Luke-Acts, what's that, mm-hmm. what's the equivalent to that Michael Corleone uh, saying in Luke then? What does he say at the beginning that sets up kind of the rest of the mm-hmm. narrative, would you say?
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, well, l- let's take this example. In chapter two of Luke, you know, which is the infancy right. narrative— mm-hmm um and it's the Jesus is being presented in the temple there's this character by the name of Simeon, Simeon yeah. who's the elder, elderly man uh in the temple verse 25 chapter 2 righteous and devout looking forward to the consolation of Israel etc cetera, etc cetera. he says this thing um is starting in verse 29 master now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word for my eyes, eyes have, seen, have seen your yeah. salvation which you prepared for, uh, in the presence of all people's now this, I, I, I've got to play the Greek card, and we're not that far <laughs> in. Um, the word for salvation here is not the usual hmm. word for salvation. It's a cognate, it's related. Right. Um, if, if I may pronounce a couple of Greek yeah, words in, in public. The the usual word is soteria, mm-hmm. uh, a noun, and it appears 500 sometimes in the New Testament. Uh, this is not soteria, but soterion. Hmm. Obviously, very close. Only three times, all of them in Luke, Acts. Right. Oh, and this interesting. is one. Hmm. Yeah. The second one is in chapter 3, verse 6, which is a quotation from the book of Isaiah. This is Isaiah uh, chapter 40, verse 5. The Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, uh, used soterion there. And the statement is, "All flesh shall see. All flesh shall see the salvation of God." Hmm. And this is at the beginning of a section of Isaiah, where Isaiah is struggling with, you know, Israel's supposed to be light to the nations, God said, but how is it going to be when it's so sinful? And and he's he's kind of working out the answer in terms of the of the servant of Yahweh. Now you go to the end of Acts, where Paul is a prisoner and he's in Rome, and he's summoned this. Group of or invited, we should say this. This group of non-Christian Jews in Rome, uh, and has dialogued with them all day. And as they leave, they're divided, which is maybe another thing about Luke Acts. We should mention that division hmm. is important. Wherever the gospel goes, wherever Jesus goes, wherever the gospel goes, okay, there's there's always division, and and they're divided. And as as they're leaving, he says, "Listen to this. This salvation." will go to the gentiles Hmm. and they will also hear um okay and and so what in effect the book is saying is god made a promise and now he's fulfilling it and he's fulfilling it despite the fact by the typical criteria that people would apply, it looks like it's not going very well. Huh. Okay. Um, you know, it 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 looks like it's getting beat up, and Paul's a prisoner, and Jesus is crucified, and it looks, you know, and all of this kind of thing. But in fact, no, this is this is the saving work of God going forward with this hmm. kind of with this little catchword. So that's 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 an example. That's cool. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. if we were to. Think of a couple of other things at the beginning of the book. Luke presents the birth of Jesus, kind of the musical version. Uh, you know, right? Um, uh, you know, uh, what if, what, if, songs, if, what yeah. if there was a gospel that was like in the heights, and it would be it would be Luke <laughs> Axe. Um, and so you've got you've got Mary singing, you've got Zachariah singing. Zachariah sings like uh, Rex Harrison in in The Sound of Music. He <laughs> kind of talks, you know, he's he's an old man. And then you've got you've got the big production number, which is the angels, angels singing right. uh. to the to the shepherds. You know, that's with the orchestra and everything. You you've got these songs. Now, if you look at these songs, they're all articulating the idea that God is going to uh, exalt the lowly and bring down the proud. Hmm. And the story just carries that through. You know, everything about Luke acts is about the, the lowly being exalted and the proud being brought low. And in particular, in the person of Jesus, who is, is Lord, who is the son of the most high, but who takes the position of lowliness, who uses his divine authority, not for his own advantage, but gives himself freely for the sake of people who don't deserve it. And so at the end of the book, at at the end of Acts, Paul is a prisoner, yet we're told that for two years he's preaching boldly without and without hindrance, hindrance yeah. which is which is exactly the opposite of what you would expect a prisoner to be. Very cool.
1: Yeah, I love that. Yeah. That's that's yeah. awesome. So narrative reading strategy, any other any other things that you would you would add to that? Or
2: that's it. Okay. That's, that's it. just re- read it like a narrative. Okay. Yes. Read it, read it like a narrative, look for the connection, see how the themes develop. And in particular, I think you'll see when when this, this idea of the fulfillment of Israel scriptures is a repeated theme. With these other things, then you realize, oh, this is how God does his thing. Right. This is how God does his thing. And then you realize it isn't just here that God is exalting the lowly and bringing down the proud. He's been doing that pretty well since, you know, Genesis beginning. chapter 3. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, hey, snake, eat dust, snake. <laughs> Seed of the woman, right. the weak little woman. Seed of the woman's going to crush your head, boy. So
1: you know <laughs> what about uh, so that's one example of a passage from the Gospel of Luke that kind of gives us insight and in, in, into acts. are there other mm-hmm. are there other passages that just really kind of illustrate this overall message or a different different message something to that effect?
2: How or, long you got? Oh
1: well, we've got uh, well you, you've already said you don't have all day, so uh, g- give, okay. me yeah. give me one or two. Give me one or two.
2: Okay, okay. Well, let, let, let me say one other thing about the infancy narrative. Okay. Um, you know, it's very famous because, you know, it's it, part of this text is read in, in Charlie Brown Christmas in <laughs> such, a, such a wonderful way. Right. And it, which is just, that's the greatest moment of American television ever. <laughs> but there is a strong element of, uh, shall we say, challenging the Roman imperium. In the infancy narrative, because it starts with this grandiose na- stuff that says Caesar Augustus put out a decree that all the world should mm. be taxed. Now that is that is deliberately hyperbolic. Skeptical people have read that and said that's totally unhistorical. There wasn't one decree to tax the whole world. No, but this is this would be kind of like you or I saying there's a law in the United States that everybody has to pay his taxes on um, the fifteenth of April. Right. You know that's legally wrong in about twelve different ways. <laughs> right. But we understand what that right. means. You know, right. you know, hey, this is America. You got to pay your taxes on the 15th of April. Right. You know, that that's that kind of strong statement. So against that, you've got in the city of David, which is a deliberate way of referring to Bethlehem uh-huh. as a way to say another king and a king to whom God made a promise hmm. about a king to come. Okay. And then he is wrapped in swaddling clothes, which is what you do with a baby and laid in a feeding trough for animals. Hmm. You know, so he's in this extreme lowly position. Then we go to the shepherds, and the angels say, "Today is born to you in the city of, city of David, David. You know. again, a Savior." Now, more more fun stuff. The word salvation, as we said, occurs about five hundred times in the New Testament. The word save occurs about five hundred times in the New Testament. The word Savior, which we use in yeah. our Christian discourse all the time, occurs twenty four times in the New mm. Testament. Uh, far less. Perhaps one of the reasons is that it was a it was used largely in a political right. sense in the first century. Right. Huh. it's it's used for for the Caesar, for for generals, for you know other other people who do big deal acts that are seen as that they want you to see as positive. So today is born for to you in the city of David, a savior. That's tweaking, that's tweaking the Romans. And then when the when the angels sing, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those on whom his favor rests. The r- peace is the Roman marketing slogan. Right, right. you know, Pax, Pax Romana, Romana right. Roman Roman peace. So so you, you kind of put all this together and you think, "Ah, oh, this is this is subverting empire." Now at the end of the story the empire is very powerful, and in the middle of the story the empire is very powerful. <laughs> right. uh, you know, they're kind of crucifying Jesus, right. which is what they do as a way of asserting imperial their their absolute power. Yet in this, God's power is being made is being made manifest. So, mm. you know, I think I think that's a key idea um, in all of this. I want to give give another example of something that I just think illustrates. Well, you know, I, I before I do that, I should mention there's a critical kind of fulcrum tipping point in in Luke chapter nine. In all of the synoptic gospels, stuff starts happening differently after Peter's confession right. of the Christ. Right. And that happens really early in the Gospel of Luke, mm. only chapter 9. You're only about uh, two-fifths of the way through the book when that happens. The critical thing that happens there is that Jesus began speaking to his disciples openly about his death. Right. And, you know, there are oblique statements about it before that, but they're, they're direct after it. In, in all the synoptics, the disciples don't understand, which is very important. But then in Luke nine fifty one, just a couple of paragraphs later, we read the statement, Jesus set his face steadfastly to go to Jerusalem. Okay. So, you know, having said, in Jerusalem, I will die, he goes to Jerusalem. Hmm. And so from Luke chapter 9 to Luke chapter 19, when you finally arrive, the entire narrative kind of has the cross's shadow over it hmm. in that way. And this is often referred to as the travel narrative in Luke, as a way of saying that, uh, but, you know, travel with with the sh- the shadow of the cross over hmm. it. Um, just as, just as an example of the way that the things kind of get linked together, when you get to Luke 18, there's this famous passage that you find in all the synoptics about Jesus welcoming the children, uh, you know, suffer the children, come to me, do not forbid them because of such is the kingdom of God. Uh, you know, if you want to be a kingdom person, you've got to be like a child, which means to be lowly following hard on the heels of that is another story in all the synoptics, which is the story of the, what we call the rich young ruler who asked this question, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, uh, you know, well, you know, first of all, challenges him on uh, why he calls him good, saying there is none good but God, which gives the man this answer: you can't do anything to put God in your debt. <laughs> right. And when he challenges him to to understand his failure by saying, keep the law, and he says, oh, I have. Um, <laughs> you know, Jesus then says, well, then. You know, sell everything. Which in Lukacs, money is a very important idea hmm. in Lukacs. And in Lukacs, the problem with money is it deceives us into thinking that we are self-reliant, right self-sufficient. Um, and this is told when Jesus tells the parable about the the man who wants to build bigger barns uh, because then he can take care of himself, and, and he and he can't. So we have this rich man who goes away sad because he's not willing to rely on God instead of on himself um and to follow Jesus who is the one who is good. Well, you know, and it's in this this context that Jesus says, uh, you know, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle um and the disciples say, well, if the rich can't be saved, then who can be saved? And Jesus says, with people this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. In other words, you know, this is this is the message of grace of of a sinner coming em- empty-handed and so forth. And this is the struggle. This is why you've got to be like a child. Well, following hard on the heels of this, Jesus tells his disciples, boys, as I've said before, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. And Luke says three times in a row in response to that, they don't understand. right. Why don't they understand? Because they're holding on to their own idea yes. of power and right. sufficiency and so forth, you know, in the narrative. Then we come to this blind man by the side of the road, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Um, you know, and Jesus answers that prayer. He restores his sight. Then you come to a story that only Luke has, which is the story of Zacchaeus, right? who is Uh, A term used only of Zacchaeus in all of Greek literature, not just the New Testament. He is a chief tax collector, Hmm. so a bad guy of the bad guys. (laughs) And unlike the rich man, he, of his own accord, says, I'm going to sell half my possessions and give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anybody, I'll pay back a third again as much as the law would require me to pay back. Right. And, And Jesus says of him, This is another subversion of identity. I tell you, salvation has come to this house today because this man, too, is a child of Abraham. Now, identity with Israel is exactly what all your friends and neighbors are denying you if you become a tax collector during this brief period when the Romans do this kind of thing. So Jesus is saying, no, this is the true Israelite. You know, the one who, who listens to me, who understands that God is fulfilling his promises through me. So you get this great linking together. Now, but the sum of all things is in 24, in the narrative of the resurrection of Jesus, where you've got this fabulous story about Jesus with the two on the road to Emmaus. Right. Uh, because they're telling Jesus the whole story like he doesn't know it. And, of course, he's the only one who does know it. Right. Um, they um, know and they don't know who he is. And, right. And they don't know who he is. That's hidden from them uh, deliberately. And then Jesus says, you don't understand, you know, know, what God has been doing in the scriptures, the whole of the scriptures I'm paraphrasing here, but not just 435 messianic texts, but the whole of Israel's scriptures tell us that the Messiah must suffer suffer Mm -hmm. and die and be raised from the dead. And so, you know, and he proceeds to tell them this whole thing. And then at the house where he is a guest, he acts as the host And as he breaks the bread, which has ties back to the Last Supper and Jesus saying next time in the kingdom and things like this, you know, it it all resonates there. And so this idea that not just certain specific messianic texts, as it were, but the entirety of Israel scriptures is being fulfilled in this story that the whole of what God is doing is focused on this. And how can we say this? Well, as we look at the whole of God's story for Israel, it has always been for the weak, it right. has always been for the lowly. Right. It's people like Abraham, it's people like Moses, you know, it's Israel which is this weak, tiny, insignificant and pretty significantly right. evil nation. Look, look, um, let
1: me ask you that, yeah. that's great. Let mm-hmm. me ask you and and this is connected to something I preached this last weekend that I never had noticed well, I'm, before. I'm, well, yeah, yeah it's yeah. just it, it was interesting, and it, and as you're talking about this, it's just kind of reaffirming this. Do you think Luke is a is a traveling companion of Paul, or I mean, in some ways it doesn't yeah, matter, do. but you you do think do. that, no. and, and I do, no, yeah, the, I do too. Yeah, I was preaching First yeah. Corinthians one. Of course, I've preached First Corinthians one a ton of times. I don't know why I never noticed this before, but you know the whole, mm-hmm. you know, we preach Christ crucified, you know, stumbling block mm-hmm. for the Jew and and mm-hmm. foolishness to the mm-hmm. Greeks. Mm-hmm. The number what struck me this time that I preached is the number of times that Paul says that is the power of God the the yeah, cross of cross of Jesus is the power of God and and here's yeah. the way I preach this and I never thought of this before the the cross was a symbol of power for the romans That's exactly mm-hmm. what you're saying oh, you bet the, the, you bet when you look at the cross that's that saying this is this is how we are pressing people this is how we're killing mm-hmm. people this kind of thing and and so yeah so paul's basically saying this this symbol that is showing roman power no in fact mm-hmm. it shows the power of God because Christ was yep. willing to submit himself to it on on Yep. you know, our behalf. I just, I found that really, like I said, I don't Definitely. know why I'd never noticed that before, but it just, just. Occurred oh, you're not me. far from the <laughs> <there>. <laughs> Well, Thanks. <laughs> appreciate that. So,
2: right. No, absolutely. Yeah.
1: yeah so it, when you're saying that, it just, it, the whole thing was just resonating with me again, that, just, that that's, that's kind of this, well, that's the gospel, right? That's the central message there. So,
2: yeah. Well, you know, it just on the side, I'll mention, we have so little about crucifixion in Greco-Roman literature outside the New Testament. One of the few quotes that we have comes from Quintilian, who is this first century uh, orator who says, you know, whenever we crucify people, we always choose the most public places because punishments relate not so much to retribution, that is to fairness, as to their exemplary effect, by which he means we are sending a very chilling message message here about our own power. Yeah.
0: But I mean, there's just so much in this, and this is kind of like when Brian's leading us through what John has written, and John, now that you're doing what Luke has written. Mm-hmm. Um, when you started studying this really intently, was there something for you that really changed for you as you learned more about this, that something that clicked for you, that as you read this, that really clicked it all
2: together for you? Um, I'm actually going to say no, <laughs> because it's, it's, such, it's such a gradual process. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't like, you know, one day to to borrow language from Luke chapter 9 something like scales fell from my mm. eyes uh you know it's not like that at all it's a gradual accumulation of Insight and from You read people, what they've discovered, right. and and you know Brian can tell you just graduate school is such a grind because you're you're just reading, 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 and and so much of it is garbage, but you've got to know it so you can you can kind of know where the boundaries so are. So you can add you to can add your own so garbage
1: forth. to the pile.
2: yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, so so sometimes you're just overwhelmed with with that information. So no, I, I I wouldn't say that there was there was any any one thing about it though. Maybe if if I were to go back, when I was when I was in seminary uh, at Trinity, um, I, I had a course uh, with a, an Old Testament professor, John Sailhamer, uh, and he was really the first exponent of a kind of a narrative hmm. approach to to narrative texts. It was a course in Messianic prophecy, and we—I don't think we ever got out of Genesis. <laughs> um, wow! Um, but what he just introduced me to was this reading of text looking for the interlocking right. of of themes and ideas and that that just continued to to influence me as, as, as that, time went that on.
1: that just reminds me john i mean and we you know ryan we we talk about this all the time the importance of of reading the narrative and and think about looking for the narrative connections and the narr- narrative mm-hmm. transitions and that kind of thing but it's not mm-hmm. been that long ago that that people just did not read the Bible that way. I mean, even I'm talking about even at a yeah. scholarly yeah. level, this is a relatively new approach. And
2: yeah, I think, yeah. I think it is though. It's interesting. Sometimes you go back and, yeah. and you see people who were, who were, who were doing, doing this, it. Like, right. uh, yeah. yeah. Like, uh, there's some, some figures in the, in the 18th century and so forth who were just way ahead of their time. Right. So to speak on this. Yeah. I
1: wouldn't have called um, it the same thing, but are, but are coming to similar, oh, similar so. kinds of conclusions. You're right. You're right. That's a fair. Yeah, fair point. Yeah. So,
0: one of the questions I like to ask Brian when he says stuff to us and like <laughs> tries to draw these connections um, is like so what so mm. so what does this mean you mm-hmm. know for for those that are for in the church you know pastors mm-hmm. for all of us that are Christians like so so what you know we see this narrative connection what is this what does that mean for us in our daily life as, as Christians yeah. living out in the world
2: it is the inversion of our ordinary value system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, is, is what I talk about, you know, as, as Luke is talking about uh, the, the, the term that's that we typically use to, to refer to this um, in conversations about Luke is reversal. God bringing down the proud and exalting the lowly, um, as you see that as as deep into this narrative and and so much of it, you know, this is who Jesus is. This is what God has always been doing. This is how God is fulfilling His promises. This is how His people live in the world. Right. Um, you know, when you, when you see all of this, okay, this gives me both. Uh, you know, I like to I like to refer to uh, the books of the Bible as lenses by which we look at life, the universe, and everything, including ourselves um you know so so i i have now life in a different perspective including my own life right you know is there is there any significance to my life i i i have a lot of friends and i've done some things and i'm kind of comfortable but you know does this does this really signify anything in the, in the big picture? Uh, or do I have to be a, a, a Billy Graham or, you know, or, or somebody like this? Well, you know, the very definite answer is God is doing his thing in every lowly person who is following Jesus. Um, and even in what feels like our, you know, our ineptitude, our failure, our insignificance, this is where the real power of God is at work. Hmm you know, uh, Acts chapter 5, the apostles are rejoicing to be counted worthy to suffer for the name Hmm. of Jesus. Well, they're being persecuted, but as Christians suffer in an ordinary way, they are in their own distinct way, each of us own unique way, uh, they are testimonies to the mm. power of God in Christ. Okay. Um, and and I, I, I think I think this is this is extremely, extremely important. Actually, one of the things I, I, I think we're going to talk about is um, you know maybe some useful resources. A book that I just just came to my attention in the last year that I, I dearly love. It's by Luke Timothy Johnson, who is, one of the great, great writers on the New Testament. It's called Prophetic Jesus, Prophetic Church, hmm. The Challenge of Luke Acts to Contemporary Christians. Uh, beautiful, beautiful book. Um, it's a book which is uh, easy to understand at one level and and hard at another. Uh, you know, easy words, hard ideas. Right. But really brings this idea home that the faithful people of God are, are living out this a kind of prophetic reversal. Mm. Prophetic in the sense that it is articulating the message of God. Yeah, proclaiming it um, proclaiming it out to the world, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, mm. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah.
1: Huh. Very, very, very good. good. That sounds that sounds good.
0: Yeah. So there are there any other resources or are books, websites, yeah. or anything
2: like that that you think that would help um, us dig d- into this? Um, you know, my favorite commentary on on Luke is a very readable book. Uh, I think, um, it's, it's long because Luke is long and he, he doesn't want, uh, well, it, it, it doesn't go into as much detail as some others, but um, uh, Robert Stein mm, uh, yeah. wrote the the commentary on Luke in, in the New American Commentary series, which is uh, published by Broadman. Stein is is a guy like um, just just there are few like this. I think Leon Morris, uh, a generation before, was like this. Who you know he r- rarely, if ever, writes a sentence over fifteen words. <laughs> right, uh, but uh, so he writes with tremendous clarity and a good level of simplicity but he is thoroughly informed and one of the things i appreciate about this book is that it goes episode by episode as commentaries do um but with every episode he has a section that he calls the lucan message hmm. which is where he ties that episode into yeah. the rest i was talking to to um a, a A friend from grad school who was a student of Stein's. And he said, yeah, he said, Bob insisted with the publishers that he do that because that wasn't part of the series. But he said, I'm not going to write this if I can't do this. Well, I
1: was going to say the first, Uh, the first book I ever read by Stein was, he was, is one of the first books I ever read on narrative that we've been talking about. And, and he he was a big, big advocate of that kind of looking for those
2: connections. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I think he's just a really good reader of texts. That's good. So yeah. Yeah. Anything else? Any other books or... Yeah. um no probably but those are the only ones that come okay that's mind. fine no problem we don't we, if that's you, all right you, I'll, I'll say this if you you know there's there's probably about 600 pages in stein if you can read 600 pages of stein <laughs> and and about 180 pages of luke johnson yeah. you're in good shape then, then get, yeah. get back
1: to you and you may have another suggestion after that but Yeah, read, move, read,
2: move on to something else go, go read, read those first you go. know me read Matthew. <laughs> <right. Yeah. laughs>
1: <laughs> so I, I want to come back to something you said and and, and it just and I want to be careful how I say this but you you talked about this idea of uh of the message of subversion and and I'm going to say this very carefully. We we try to be very positive here about the, we love the church and I know you do. Yeah. That I sh- I meant to say that in the introduction. I know that you're a lover yeah. of the local congregation. You believe God's at work yeah. there. We be- we we love pastors, we love church leaders, you know, we really like, oh, you like to work with them. But I'll say very carefully, we sometimes have bought into this uh, more cultural idea of what power and influence oh, oh, yeah. looks like, and yeah. and so I think this is you know when when Ryan's talking about so what I think this is one of the things that that we learn from Luke maybe is this is, yeah.
2: yeah and 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 we have that in common with people of sure of every age and place yeah absolutely um, yeah I mean it, yeah if you want to you know get goosebumps and nausea as as you said read through First <laughs> Corinthians right. Um, and just see, just see what a mess they're right. making of it. And it all revolves around, uh, around power. Right. It really does. But, yeah. but
1: the, it goes back to the guard, you know, wanting, wanting to essentially be the ones that yeah. call the shots instead of, uh, Yeah, exactly. Listening to God. exactly. But, yeah. yeah. All these, all these stories about the same right. thing. Well, so here's what that le- that led me to is this question. So that makes me think that this would be a good reason to read the Gospel of Luke, to look for that that mm-hmm. kind of a theme. Are there other reasons that you would say, this is a good time for you to read the
2: Gospel of Luke, maybe a particular spiritual Yeah, moment you or... know, um, in in this country, uh, we're struggling with the relationship of the church to politics. Right. And I think it's just, it's now it's not a, you know, it's not a red light, green light right. kind of thing. Right, right. I think Luke can help to kind of properly complicate <laughs> our understanding of that. Right. So helpful. So helpful. Um, in in the way that it's it's dealing with this idea of power and government, and you've probably right. got uh, more appearances of government officials and yeah. lukeplugs mm. plus acts than you'd have any place else. That's true. Sometimes good, sometimes bad, you know, sometimes doing good things for bad reasons, sometimes doing <laughs> bad re- things for good reasons, right. you know, so forth and so on. Interesting. And and the people of God are kind of just I, I don't want to say maneuvering through that um they're just in that right. and and god is at work in them as as they're in as they're in the midst of it and your emphasis so. you mentioned you know kind of
1: these these different kinds of people being brought together in into mm-hmm, a community mm-hmm. and 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 not oh my, lo- yes. not losing their distinctiveness but right right yeah, but but learning yeah. how to live as family or or you know live in community yes. so yeah
2: yes i was i was listening i was listening to a podcast <laughs> the other day and um it was um uh, uh, well, I won't say which one it was, but I will say who was being interviewed because this is the only podcast that any of y'all need, right? Yes. The Bible right. Amen. That's in This is it. This is it. Just keep it on a, con- keep it on a continuous loop, um, and, and support our sponsors. <laughs> right. yes. Um, the, um, but, uh, Derwin Gray, uh, was being hmm, interviewed. Okay. Um, one of my, one of my favorite people, uh, is he's a pastor of a church in Charlotte, um, Transformers. Uh, I think it's something that's the right. name of the church, something like that. Derwin, uh, interesting guy, grew up in a single-parent home, uh, good athlete, was recruited by Brigham Young University to be a defensive back, uh, a black guy at, in Salt Lake right. uh, playing, playing football. Uh, met his wife there, who was white, uh, and also was not a Mormon. And uh, went into the NFL and came to faith in Jesus through uh, the witness of a teammate on the Indianapolis Colts. That's cool. Uh, anyway, um, he leads this church, which is deliberately multi-ethnic in Charlotte, but he's he's just a, he's a monster with the biblical text. He, fit, he did a PhD at Northern Seminary in Chicago right. under Scott McKnight oh, okay. uh, in this Applied New Testament exegesis program that they have there, which is about or Applied New Testament theology, which is about... You know, taking the theology of the New Testament and and working it into practical theology Hmm. of the life of the church. He speaks so eloquently about this idea that the church being a diverse people who are in fellowship and in harmony, this is not like an optional thing. This is the very nature of what God is doing. And and like every other thing that we do not well, we need to focus on it so that are of the heart of the gospel, right? You know, we got we got to focus on this so so that we can we can do it better. And I I deeply, deeply, deeply believe this, right? Um, So so when you see this just weird this weird. Concatenation of people who were assembled as as Jesus followers through the two volumes, it just really really hammers this home. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. And, yeah. yeah. And if we ever do a podcast on on Acts, we'll talk about kind of the way that that Acts develops this narrative of inclusion well, uh, in a very deliberate you're way. You're saying
1: that uh, you know we take as an inv- as an invitation to ask you invitation. back. Invitation so we, we, we yeah, will jump, okay. we will jump all over that so.
2: I I, I got some openings in 2027
1: <laughs> so that'll be Oh, you know what we're, we're booked already for that <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh. oh. <laughs> Man, Ryan, do you have anything else you wanted to talk about or ask? Or? I, I don't think so. Okay.
0: No, I, I really appreciate it. You know, this yeah. is, you know, it's it's good to, th- the, to see it in the text and, the, and these concepts and then to think about how does this apply to our lives? Right. You yeah. know, that, that we see that Luke is writing in a very specific way, just like all of Scripture, as you mentioned in the beginning, like, these gospels are written for in a very specific way right. they're laid out in a very specific way and that uh, there's a message in there for right. us today and that if you know just digging through some of those things and making those connections there's a strong yeah. message.
1: John I appreciate you being with us today before before we go is there anything that you want to uh, talk about that you're doing or coming up you mentioned this book you're thinking about writing got anything else coming up Oh the...
2: no forget forget I mean thinking about writing that's it <laughs> Okay. <laughs> That's it. Uh, a a guy, a guy that you and I both know, uh, said, "Hey, you know, would you be interested in doing a monograph? You know, right. you don't seem to be doing much." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, sure, yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah. I don't know. We'll that see. That sounds. I'm, good. I'm yeah. you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what my last act okay. is. Okay. So. You know. All right. So,
1: well, right. it's good. Good to have you with us. Good to have an opportunity to talk to you, and and really appreciate the kind of give us some
2: insight into Luke. Um, hey, it's a gas. It's a gas to hang with guys. <laughs> I appreciate. Yeah. I appreciate what you're doing on this podcast. Thank you. It's, Thank it's, you very much. Focus. So,
1: yeah. Thanks, John. Yeah. Thanks very much. So I'll see you. See you next time, Ryan. Yes, right. you
2: as well, right. Brian. Thank you. Bye. Right. Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. Next week, Brian and I are in the book of Mark and are taking a look at Mark chapter 12 and some of the vineyard imagery that is there and its meaning. Interesting conversation. We hope you'll join us for that. You can find show notes, links, and more at thebiblebistro.com, as well as sign up for our email newsletter to stay in touch, but also to get some exclusive content we are working on. You can find us and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Bible Bistro. And as always, you can subscribe to us on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Just search for Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next Tuesday.